Hey, you guys, it's JJ and Dave, and we hope that you've been enjoying season one of Instrumental. It might not seem like it, but making every episode takes an average of 20 to 30 hours of our time. And we love working on the show, and we consider it our gift to you because we believe these stories need to exist in the world. As we continue to work on future episodes, there are a few things that you can do as well. That is true. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please take a minute or two to leave a review. This really simple act helps other people discover the show. Another way your friends can discover the show is if you tell them. We really think these stories can change someone's life. But it can't change their life if they don't know about it. So sometimes all it takes is a little nudge from you. Lastly, you might have noticed we don't have ads on Instrumental this season. That means we're not making any money from it. <laughs> that is true. So an easy way to financially support the show is to simply listen to JJ's music on your favorite streaming service. It's as easy as telling Siri or Alexa to play music by JJ Heller. Okay, let's start the show. I'm JJ Heller, and this is Instrumental, a show about the big and small moments that shape our lives. In every episode, my guest and I start near the end of their story and work our way back to the beginning. I hope our conversation reminds you that every second matters because none of us knows which moment will be the one that changes everything. Hello, it's JJ. And her husband, whose name is Dave. And the two of us together have put together another episode of Instrumental. And for some reason, my picture isn't on it. I know. I I honestly feel sad about that. I... I think you should be on I, the I, picture. I feel like you are much better looking JJ Heller. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can pretend that you're hiding behind me. That's exact. You know what I was doing is I was hiding behind the camera. That's true. You took that photo. That's right. So in a way, I'm there in spirit. But we're here together now for real. We're here together on mic. Are you going to start beatboxing? <laughs> Please do. <laughs> I was going to attempt to wrap this intro and it's impossible with with those sick beats. Okay. I'm not good at this. A for effort. Thank you. That was really impressive. I tried my hardest. So anyway, uh, our guest this week is Brandon Heath. Oh, he's so great. He's a sweet guy. It's been super fun just over the past year, really, to start writing songs with Brandon. Yeah, the first song we wrote with him was A Mother Like You. And I love that song. Yes, and Brandon had a huge hand in crafting that piece of magic. Yeah. So we've went, we've went in some great <laughs> songs so, so with Brandon. So pretty good songs. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of the next songs that we wrote with him is the, our song Coming Home. Yeah. Which is the instrumental music that we use at the end of every show. So we have Brandon to thank for all the good feels at the end of every episode. That's right. Thank you, Brandon. Yeah. He's just kind of a singer-songwriter at heart, so I really connect to his music and his lyrics. Yeah. He's a very talented artist. So on instrumental, we tell people stories backwards. So we're going to start out by hearing what Brandon's been up to recently. JJ, take it away. Act three, faith, hope, love, repeat. The most recent chapter of Brandon's story is full of transitions. I'll let him explain. My wife and I got married six years ago, and we knew pretty quickly, you know, that we wanted to have children. I got married at 36. Uh, my wife, I'm not going to tell her age, <laughs> against the rules. <laughs> but she's close to my age. She's an I, adult. Yeah, she's an adult, yeah. <laughs> she's close to my age. I'm just saying I don't want to, like, you know, out her age or whatever. Um, she uh, was also at, you know, 
childbearing years, so we're we need to we need to get going. Um, but we also wanted to spend a few years just being a couple, yeah. you know. And um, we tried for, frankly, years to get pregnant mm-hmm. and and had a difficult time. I remember the day that she brought me the pregnancy test and showed me the little mark on it. What is it? The two lines? Uh-huh. Or, yeah. What What was that day like? I remember I was at the refrigerator and I remember she took her pregnancy test and came into the kitchen and she said, I think this is positive. And so we both just started crying and laughing and jumping. <laughs> but she was like, but I don't know. It could be like a false positive. So we went and bought a whole box of those pregnancy <laughs> tests. And I think like – Did you pee on one? Just I peed on one just to make sure. But we – I remember we were at like a gas station and she even <laughs> went into the gas station to make sure. Wow. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's positive. We're having a baby. You know, that was one of the best days of my whole life. Mm. It was also kind of like, oh, my goodness, this is really happening. And I started to really kind of think about my own story, you know, with my my father. And he made a lot of mistakes in his in his life. And but, you know, you start to think about the immense a responsibility that you have in a child's life. And that can make you a little nervous. What was the thing that worried you most about it? I think providing. Financially? Yeah, financially. And where does that come from? I think that comes from... Let me put my therapist hat on. Yes. <laughs> that's, uh, my, that's, that's my hat. I'm yeah, wearing the therapist yeah. hat. You, you're, ironically, you're the one sitting on the couch right now. <laughs> that is true. Um, I think that comes from a place of uh, not being good enough, not being um, resourceful enough, and... I really, I went to a place of it just being about me, like forgetting that I have an amazing wife (laughs) who is my partner and will be with me through it all, you know, but I took it on, I took the responsibility on myself. And also, I also forgot, by the way, that I have a great God who has provided above and beyond everything that I would ever need. So why would he stop providing for me now? Hmm. So I think my fear took me to that place. And I really struggle with not being good enough. That's hmm. like a a new revelation, hmm. you know. I just thought, well, I'm not going to be a good enough dad. And I hope that she doesn't want to play three sports at a time because, you know, I don't know if I can do all that and do music at the same time. You know, just all these, like, crazy things. But then also, like, being a person who watches the news and being afraid that I won't be able to protect her from her getting her heart broken or or seeing people be mean to each other and people being mean to her. Unfortunately, you're being born into a really broken world. Yeah. You know, I, I think that there were, in my own childhood, there were times where I could have been a little bit more protected when I wasn't. And so I'm a little overprotective at this point. Hmm. So I've got to, like, let that go as well. So those were things that were just kind of all flooding in at the same time. Um, when she was born, I was the one that cried buckets. <laughs> My wife, who did all the hard work, was just excited and wanted to hold Palmer. So Palmer's a girl. We have two little girls. Our next one came a lot easier. So they're, uh, is it 16 or 14? I think they might be 16 months apart. So they're really close in age. But they're they're besties already, which is kind of fun. Wow. So, Has being a dad been what you thought it would be? Yes, for the most part, yes. It's what I hoped for. Mm. 
I don't know. I kind of wanted a boy. But um, girls, there's a certain sweetness about girls, obviously. Like my two-year-old can tell when I'm sad and she wants to hug me, you know? And um, there, like when a girl uh, looks at you as her father, there's like a certain um, I need you and I want you and, and I want you to love me, you know? And it just makes sense, you know? So I know that you get that, Dave, with two girls. And it's just the sweetest thing ever. So Yeah, and I love that you're telling us about this now while you're wearing your hat that says Girl Dad. Girl Dad. I love it. (laughs) Yep, yeah. I wear it proudly. Faith, Hope, Love, Repeat. Isn't that written for? Yeah, yeah. I wrote that with David Leonard. And David, at the time, had a daughter. And I he still does and still does. <laughs> yeah. He has two daughters now. Yeah. But at the time he only had one. Yeah. And I didn't know what I was having. I think I actually found out on the day that I wrote that song wow. that we were having a girl. I wrote that song about Palmer. It was the last song to be written for the record. And I wrote it about all the things, the fears, but the excitement of having a little one that really depends on you. I want to take you for a ride when you cannot sleep. Brush your hair to the side. Kiss you on your cheek. I want to stay up all night. Making sure you breathe. Oh my God, what a gift. He has given me. I brought you into this world. And I'm sorry, it's a little bit crazy. But I tell you that. The future looks a little bit hazy But see God, me and him have a promise And he'll give us everything that we need So have faith, hope, and love Faith, hope, love, repeat What do you hope that your children find in your catalog of music that they can kind of take with them? My dad died a couple of years ago, and there's moments when I forget what his voice sounds like, and I and that makes me really sad. But I'm starting to forget what his voice sounds like. But they will always know what my voice sounds like because it's recorded. You know, I always see albums as kind of like a a yearbook. It's like a snapshot of what is going on in your life at the moment. So they get to step into who their dad is. And I love that. What are you doing as an independent artist? When I left my label, um, I didn't leave like on top for sure. But I also didn't leave with a bad taste in my mouth. I just needed to say, look, our time has kind of come to an end. You're not really seeing my creative journey anymore. And I'm not really seeing how you're wanting to use me anymore. And so we we ended our long and great time together, but I'm in a new season now uh, as an independent artist. It doesn't mean that I won't re-sign a deal someday, which I'm actually completely open to doing, but it has allowed me to get to a place where I'm able to create without thinking about radio, thinking about my A&R guy, hoping he's going to like it or not. And it, it really has been very helpful for me to write good music. I wrote I'm Not Who I Was when I didn't have a publishing deal or a record deal. Hmm. It was just it was just pure me. There was no other motivation. And I think that is where we should try to spend more time writing from. This is what's on my heart, and this is what I need to say. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a matter of sitting down to write a song that feels true and that comes from your heart. And then once the song is written, look at it and say, is there a place on radio for this? Yeah. Rather than sitting down thinking, what song can I write that will fit on the radio? That's right. That's a mistake. It's a big mistake. Because I think that's when you start um, selling yourself short. That cool secret ingredient that God gave you, which is your story and your style, that's what people love. That's what people want so desperately. 
I think that's why people connect with your music, JJ. You know, it's your story, it's your voice, but it's your unique ingredient that God made you to have. So anyway, that's kind of where I am currently. I'm writing songs from that place again, and it's been extremely rewarding. There are songs I'm really proud of. So what I feel like I need to do is to be the most true to myself. JJ, can you relate? I totally can. I think whenever I try to be really strategic with my songwriting and try to figure out, okay, what is the kind of song that somebody would really want to hear? Like, that's when I really stray off course. It's it's when I write about things that matter to me, then things that feel authentic when I'm being myself, the person that God made me to be. That's when the songs end up connecting with the most people. I think the thing that people resonate with is actually honesty. Yeah. And when you get specific in your songwriting to where someone actually believes the words that you're singing, like that's where the magic happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Brandon's really good at that. Yeah, he's really good at that. Well, Act Two takes place in 2007. And uh, one of my favorite things happened in 2007. What's that? Steve Jobs announced the iPhone. Oh, and your life changed forever. I mean, I didn't get it that generation. No, because we couldn't afford it. But I really appreciated all of the ideas. Yes. Something else really important happened in 2007. What what happened? Bob Barker retired from The Price is Right. Oh, man. Do you remember Bob Barker with oh, his yeah. like, kind of... I, I've never even seen a microphone like the one that he uses used anywhere else. Yeah. What is it? It's like a giant lollipop. That's right. But it's like the skinniest lollipop you've ever seen. Yeah, it is very strange. Does Drew Carey use that now? I can't remember. David, if you were going to be a contestant on The Price is Right, what would you dress up like? Ooh, you should be Steve Jobs. <laughs> That's amazing. I would be Steve Jobs. All right. On to the next act, JJ. Act two. God was going to write that song. Just before he turned 29, Brandon's career was poised to make a huge change. Let's hear from Brandon. I was actually at a Young Life camp, Lost Canyon. In Arizona. In Arizona, mm. northern Arizona. Yeah, we're very y'all, familiar with Lost Zonies. Canyon. You're Zonies. Yep. You know that. Yep. You're the first person to call me a Zoni. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what Californians would normally call you, right? Your Zonies? <laughs> I guess. Um, I have never heard that term. <laughs> Are you from California? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I was there doing the music for that month. And when I got to camp, the single, I think, was near like mid-20s on the radio. And what song was it? I'm Not Who I Was. Okay. I was actually having some like some radio success, but Our God Reigns had not really put me on the map. It was a great song, but it wasn't really, you know, it didn't have like the Brandon secret ingredient. Yeah. And I made a point of not watching the charts. I was early in my career, but old enough, you know, 28 to know, it's probably not a good idea to like watch the charts. Plus, I was there for ministry. I was hanging out with kids. Um, high schoolers, my, right? Were they high school? High schoolers, yeah. Yeah. So Young Life is an outreach to high school kids mainly. They also do Young Lives, which I love. It's 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 teen moms. And uh, that's one of the things that I love most about what Young Life does is that they really are all about every kid. So I was in kid land, you know, like games, music, frisbee, you know, um, shaving cream fights, shaving cream fights, mud pits. Yeah, but my manager started calling me about the second week, saying, "Brandon, this song is taking off." And he he said, "There's a there's a radio station called KSBJ down in Houston that is loving. I'm not who I was. They've done a radio spot on it. People have called in." 
they want to tell their own stories, you know, of how God has redeemed their lives. And listeners wanted to. Yeah. That's the first time that I realized, okay, this is different. This is like a song that's really connecting. I wish you could see me now. I wish I could show you how I'm not who I was. I used to be mad at you. A little on the hurt side too, but I'm not who I was. time ago, but I never got to tell you. So on my last week at camp, my manager said, we need to do a music video. And I said, well, there's a music video guy here at camp. So maybe we should get him to do the music video. Was that Ashley? That was Ashley, man. Ashley Maddox. Yeah. Did it. And if you go and watch the video, it's, it's just me. We're walking around Williams, which is a, a small little town on Route 66. It's like an old train depot town. Yeah, which is right for filming. Yeah. You know, it's like frozen in time. It's perfect. So my stepbrother, who happened to be there, who is uh, on the spectrum, Asperger's, he carried around a little boom box and played <laughs> I'm Not... <laughs> <laughs> I was. <laughs> and then I mouthed the words. And that's how we made my first music video. Wow. Because the song was just doing gangbusters at radio. Was the concept of the video the kind of cardboard testimony thing? Or did that come after? That came after. So it's cool that you remember that. That was actually my manager, uh, Jim Hauser, his idea. They were doing something similar at his church. He was like, you know what? This song is such a testimonial song. We did a dry erase board. Mm-hmm. We did these, like, this is who I was before I met Jesus, and this is who I am now. So in the first slide, you're writing some pretty revealing things about yourself. And so what's, like, an example of something someone wrote down? I mean, I, I can't remember specifically, but I feel like somebody in there said divorced, mm-hmm. you know? And... Anybody who's been through divorce, you, you feel like your life is over, that, you know, you've failed, that you'll never find love again. And God has a different story. He's all about redemption. Hang on. So, like, it says divorced on one side, and then they flip it, o- or the next slide is... Yeah. Uh, remarried and redeemed. Hmm. You know, that would be like an example Listen, you don't have to be remarried to be redeemed in divorce. That's not it. It's that you don't define yourself in a marriage. But we we really define ourselves by how God sees us. So anyway, the song was very specific. It was very autobiographical, yet it connected in a way that I had not ever seen one of my songs connect. There was a guy who was incarcerated, and they would allow them to listen to radio in their cells, but they were in a really, like, rural area, and there wasn't much that could come into... Broadcast range. Right, into good frequency or whatever. But there was a Christian station that they could get, which I love that, like, all these little mom-and-pop Christian stations around the country, they really want people to hear these songs. This inmate heard, I'm not who I was. And he said, I would listen and wait for that song because when I heard it, it was my song. And he said it would make me break. And he recommitted his life to Jesus while he was in prison. And that was a song that got him through the rest of his sentence. But he would have to wait for it. You know how we all used to have to do listening to radio. But I've always remembered him. And I've heard thousands of stories, but there's something about prisoners and criminals that I just love. I have a heart for them. There's something about people who are incarcerated. They understand forgiveness Hmm. in a way that the rest of us don't. Did you hear that story in person? Did he come up to you after a show? Yeah. I want to say that I was in New England area. It was at a signing. I believe it was an outdoor show. And he waited. So he came over to me 
He was like a little bit heavy set, um, had a beard, dark hair, and a very sincere eyes, hmm. you know. I'll never forget him. Can you share one of your favorite lyrics from that song with us? The thing I find most amazing in amazing, amazing grace is the chance to give it out. Maybe that's what love is all about. I wish you could see me now. I wish I could show you how I'm not who I was. And that is what garnered me. Um, my first number one, it was wow. number one for one week, but I was nominated for New Artist of the Year, Songwriter of the Year, Song of the Year. Oh, my goodness. And I didn't win two of those, but I did get New Artist of the Year. And I think it had to do with I'm Not Who I Was. The Dove Award? Yeah, Dove Award. What does that do for your musical career? I mean, I'm sure it opened a lot of doors. Well, sitting in the seat... At the Dove Awards, we had just the week before recorded Give Me Your Eyes. I knew I had a strong song. Where did that song come from? I was coming back from Seattle. I just dread those long flights. So I was sitting by the window. I put my hoodie over my head (laughs) and my headphones in, and I went to sleep. And that's usually how I try to make those long flights go by. I I have the gift of being able to sleep anywhere. <laughs> so jealous. So I slept for most of that flight, and we were landing. I remember waking up. Um, I could feel the elbow of the guy sitting next to me in the middle. And I just had this thought, like, it's really bizarre that you could spend, you could be in such close proximity with someone and literally not acknowledge them Hmm. for five hours. I said, that's actually not okay. That's not how I want to spend my life. Now, I wish I could say (laughs) that I took my hoodie off and I said, hi, I'm Brandon. What's your name? And we had this amazing conversation. No, that did not happen. (laughs) But I looked out the window and I just had this Um, There were clouds, so I had this, like, kind of lyric idea. Looked down from a broken sky, traced out by the city lights. My world, my world from a mile high, best seat in the house tonight. Touchdown in the cold black top, hold on for the sudden stop. Breathing the familiar shock of confusion and chaos. All those people going somewhere. Why have I never cared? Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I keep. I knew I was going to be going in the next day with Jason Ingram. And I, and I brought that idea to Jason. And I said, you know, sometimes I just wish God would give me his eyes so that I could see what people are going through. And Jason said at the piano, give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see. That was Jason, you know. (laughs) Jason's got this je ne sais quoi (laughs) about writing the perfect chorus. Yeah. So that song... It communicated on a way that uh, still I'd never seen before, and it just didn't even feel like it was my song. It just felt like God was going to write that song through whoever, and so it just it was number one for 14 weeks, and that's my career song, and I'm so proud of it. I'm not tired of it. I still love to sing it. I think about the men that and women that Jesus chose to live his life with. And they were idiots. They were like (laughs) big time, like they messed things up all the time. And he loved them and he gave them his gospel Mm -hmm. and he used them. That is me, you know? That's what I love about Jesus and why I feel like I, I really belong to God. I love that. It's such a good reminder because I think I can focus on all of my shortcomings and all of the ways that I mess up 
And yet, like, God has enough grace for all of us every day. Yeah, I think that sometimes we have this illusion that the people that we see out in the world doing stuff somehow have their act together more than we do. Yeah. And everyone's just a mess. Yep. It's so comforting to hear that God can use anyone he wants to. Well, in order to wrap up Brandon's story, we need to go all the way back in time to 1982. It was a time when people didn't know how Return of the Jedi ended yet. (gasps) Can you believe that? It's kind of weird to think about. Yeah, that movie came out in 83. Wow. Also, a gallon of gas costs you $1.19, but if you adjust for inflation, that's $3 a gallon. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But it still sounds really good. It really does. All right, JJ, let's take this thing home. Act one, I see a man inside of you. As you're about to hear, Brandon had a tumultuous childhood. This chapter includes a divorce, a standing ovation, and a stranger who wanted to help. I was born in Nashville. So Nashville has always been my home, but it has not been Music City for me. Um, My mom was a hairdresser and my dad was a police officer. So it wasn't like we were, you know, born in Music Row or, you know, like the music community. I had always heard it called Music City, but, you know, I just thought, well, okay, yeah, we got music here, but I really didn't know what that meant. Hmm. Um, I was three when they divorced. So do you remember it? I vividly remember my mom and I spending our first night in the upstairs of a family's home. Uh, They allowed us to rent out the upstairs of their home. We shared a room, and then we had a little, like, kitchenette. And we were overlooking the Cumberland River in West Nashville. And I remember going, about to go to sleep that night and wondering, okay, where's, where's dad? He's sleeping. Why isn't he here? And so my mom had to explain that my dad was not coming with us. Hmm. And I remember vividly crying about that. And she said, well, daddy had to work tonight and... I started crying about that. And so my mom called his home at the time and he picked up and he tearfully explained to me that he would not be living with us anymore, but I would see him every once in a while. And, you know, as a three-year-old, it's a traumatic moment and it stuck with me. Hmm. And, you know, for me, you're just supposed to be with your dad, you know? That was a really tough moment. My dad was making some really poor choices in his life, and it was the right decision for my mom to leave my dad. Did you blame yourself at all for them splitting up? It wasn't that I blamed myself, but I found myself to be not good enough to stay for Hmm. And that's where that not good enough wound comes from. Yeah. And that would kind of get covered up with coping mechanisms. You just have to get through it, you know? So little Brandon had to grow up pretty quickly. I was an old soul anyways, but I feel like some of my childhood was certainly taken away from that experience. Hmm. Did you ever feel like you had to take care of your mom? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was fiercely protective of her. And eventually she would marry uh, a guy named Jim, who became my stepdad. And I inherited step-siblings, whom I love to this day. They're still my step-siblings. But I was not a fan of Jim. I had mom to myself. I mean, for crying out loud, we were sharing a room, you know. I do remember there being some relief just feeling like my mom didn't have to take care of me on her own. Hmm. Um, My dad wasn't seeing me a lot in those days. He was trying to get his life together. So he remarried, and eventually I would start spending more time with him, and then I would live with him. And that woman, her name was Kitty. She became my stepmom. 
And I grew to love her and to love her two kids. I lived with them for four years until she and my dad divorced. And I saw firsthand now, you know, as a middle schooler, what a family breaking apart looks like. So that was very difficult for me. I moved back in with my mom, and that was a good move. That was a stable home, and I loved my school. I ended up repeating the eighth grade, which I don't think I've ever said on microphone before. (laughs) But I repeated the eighth grade because I went to three different schools that year. Wow. Because of all the tumultuous stuff going on. But that second eighth grade year was pretty amazing because I made a couple of friends. I had my first crush on a girl who also played guitar, and that's how I learned how to play the guitar. And that's also when I started singing. So thankfully, when I got into high school, I made good and lasting relationships with good people. And, you know, middle school is just hard anyways, you know, but I freaking loved high school. Hmm. I had great friends who are still my friends to this day. I got serious about singing. And, um, and then I met Jesus at a young life camp in British Columbia called Malibu going into my junior year of high school. Who invited you to young life? Two girls, Karen Gray and (laughs) Caroline Baugh. And um, I may have had a little crush on them. So, either one. Yeah, either. Both Whoever of them. showed interest it's actually, first. It's really great evangelism for a hot girl to girls. ask a guy to a Christian meeting. God bless girls. Wow. They are such evangelists. So, we basically have both of them to thank for all Brandon Heath songs on they, You kind of do. Media. I mean, thanks, girls. Yeah. I always felt like God was a judgmental being in the sky. And that I, again, not good enough, Mm. you know? I'm doing quotations with my fingers right now. (laughs) So when I heard the gospel and, and really felt the story of Jesus, that he died for all, I was able to put myself in that category. Wow, even my sins? And, you know, Young Life camps are so good, number one, about being in beautiful places, but two, really encouraging you to get some time alone where I could, for the first time, feel as though I was hearing the voice of God at least comfort me, not audibly what he was saying, but just to say, I'm with you, I'm here, this is for you, and Jesus was for you too, you know? Again, having trouble with my father at the time. My young life leader just said, you know, your heavenly father has a different kind of love for you, a kind of love that doesn't fail. And so I allowed the gospel to become the truth in my heart, and I started to follow Jesus at that point. Hmm. And he started to work on me and is still working on me and will always be working on me. served there for many summers at Malibu. The first time I sang in front of people was in the dining hall. When I was a camper, a boat driver saw me playing guitar down the dock and said, I want you to borrow my guitar and I want you to sing on the last night of camp. And so I sang in front of the whole dining hall, you know, that was my debut of of me singing just me and, and my guitar. And what happened? Uh, I got a standing ovation, um, which was really fun. Wait, did you play a song that you wrote or? Mm-hmm. Okay, I wow. played a song that I wrote. You play a song that you wrote mm-hmm. for the first time ever in front of people. Yes. And an entire dining hall of peers and some kids who are older than you stand up and cheer. Yeah. I can still see that boat driver leaning in the jam of the door, just clapping, just so happy for me. What happened as a result, though? I mean, that's a major confidence boost. 
to like play your very first song in front of people and get that like that didn't happen to me yeah <laughs> right yeah um so like what did that do for you well, let's just be honest. High school kids will give anybody a standing ovation. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not, not true. true. That's, that is not true. You're right. <laughs> they, I mean, they could just as likely boo you off the stage, you know? Yeah, but not at Young Life Camp. They wouldn't boo you off the stage. But they, they could be like, Yay. Yay. yeah, good I'm, try. Like, that, yeah. that was a fostering environment. It was. And that's what I loved about it. They fostered so many things, you know? Young life in general is is about taking a risk, you know, like all the, the the zip line and the ropes course, and you know, following Jesus is a risky thing. Hmm. How did Bob come into play? When we say Bob, we're talking about Bob Goff, which a lot of people know who Bob Goff is now. At the time, he was a lawyer in San Diego, and so you're like a twenty two, twenty three year old kid. Mm-hmm. My guitar had been stolen out of the back of my car, and I ended up going up to camp and borrowing somebody's guitar up at camp because I was going to be there all summer. I was I was a sound guy. I was I was working as a sound guy, and I was playing a little concert that night, not as a special musician, but as the sound guy because they didn't have a special musician back oh, then. Yeah, so they just thought, hey, could we make your concert like a, an optional thing for kids to do? So I was playing a show in Big Squawka, which is like where the meeting room. Yeah. And Bob had a friend with him there. They were coming up on a boat and they were just visiting Malibu at the time. That friend liked my music and he had heard that I had had my guitar stolen. So he wrote a check for me, bought a little card and said, give this to Brandon. He left on a boat early the next morning. I never even met the guy. And I opened it up, and there's a check for me to go buy a nice guitar, like way better than the guitar that I had stolen. Wow. It wasn't Bob. It was Bob's friend. So the next summer, I'm there as a special musician, and Bob is there visiting with his family. He loves Malibu. Okay. In fact, National Geographic calls it one of the top 10 most beautiful places on earth. Wow. That that inlet. It's like— it's legitimately beautiful. So 2001, I'm sitting in the backstage area, uh, wrapping cables. Bob walks in, and I barely know him at this point, but he had bought my CD, my little independent CD. And he said, hey, your music has been a blessing to my family. Is there a way that I can help you in any way? And I didn't really know what to do with that. He said, I think God wants me to help you. And I think you should um, come and visit us sometime in California, in San Diego. Well, I've never been to California. I never, you know, I'd only really been up to the Pacific Northwest. 2003, two years later, he calls me and says, I've got a plane ticket with your name on it. It just needs a date. You're coming to our house. So I fly to California. I end up spending a week with Bob and his family. I don't think that has ever happened to me. <laughs> or nope. most people. No. What did it feel like to have him sort of extend that kind of opportunity to you? Oh, it was incredible, but it didn't feel like an opportunity. Yeah. I mean, it was like, it was a very warm gesture, right? Yeah. And yeah. so, like, what did that feel like? It felt incredible. It felt like, um, honestly, it felt like a a father figure coming alongside of you and saying, I see a man inside of you, and that man has big things to do in his life. So how do we, how do we get that man on the road to doing those big things? Hmm. I was a songwriter and wanted to be a songwriter. I had not seen those big things for myself. Hmm. So over chips and salsa at a, a place called Miguel's in Point Loma, Bob and I hatched out a plan to go back to Nashville record an EP and we were going to put that EP out. He was going to be my record label. Whoa. And we had a name for it and everything. And he gave me um, an advance, if you will. I came back to Nashville. I had a good friend named Dan Muckala. He 
We recorded my EP. Was that Don't Get Comfortable? Don't Get Comfortable. Well, that was the name of the first record, but I don't remember what the EP was called. Okay. It might have been Don't Get Comfortable. I recorded four songs, and Muckla was like, hey, we can get your record deal off this. So I got a record deal, and I was able to pay Bob back within four months. Wow. Of him giving me that advance. I, I paid him back. And Bob's not really the kind of guy to just give money. He would rather invest in you, like, relationally. That was different for him. But he knew that's what the next phase was, was for, I need to make a record. I need, yeah. And it needs to be really good. And what we ended up making was great and got me a record deal. So uh, when I was nominated for New Artist of the Year, Bob and his family flew out. I was like, well, I hope I win for your <laughs> sake. And when I won New Artist of the Year, I saw Bob shoot up in the middle of the audience like a rocket. And I couldn't even look at him because I, <laughs> I almost started crying. Because that was the guy that said, you need to chase your dreams. This is what you need to do. You don't need to be a songwriter. You need to be the guy singing the songs. And so he was there, you know. And he was just the guy that came along that said, okay. And he said, how do we put wheels on your dreams? Mm -hmm. And now everybody knows Bob. But how was God thinking about me and he would give me a Bob Goff yeah. to come into my life? Not a Bob Goff, the Bob <laughs> the Goff. The Bob Goff. He's yeah. so like crazy. And if anybody is listening and you're like, well, I've read Love Does, um, it's all real. It's all true. Mm. He's this kind of, he's a different kind of person. I call him a pyrotechnic. Like he loves finding your fuse and begging you to light it. Hmm. He just, that's what he does with hmm. people. So I'm so thankful that he came along because I don't know that I would have done it the way yeah. that I did it. Well, gosh, how like beautifully redemptive your description of him shooting up like a rocket during that awards ceremony. Yeah. I mean, basically saying you're worth investing in, you're worth staying for. Like that question when you were a kid. That's right. Yeah. You're good enough. If you hadn't flown out to California to have that conversation with him where he laid out a plan, and if he hadn't chosen to invest in you so that you could make a very expensive for a college kid or a you know, oh, yeah. single young I didn't man. I have that kind of money. Then. Yeah. For him to be able to light that fuse, light that fuse for you, like where do you think you would be if if that hadn't happened? You know, I still think I'd be playing music, but it wouldn't have. Again, it wouldn't have been the the way and the ride that I've had, which I wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah, I mean, like, do you think that "Give Me Your Eyes" would exist? No, yeah. no, it'd be all different songs. Yeah, yeah. Do you think you would be a country writer, maybe? I think so, yeah. That's actually what I always dreamed of doing, was being a country writer. Yeah. And instead, like, you've carved I'd probably out... be way more wealthy. <laughs> 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 Had I just gone with my original plan, but honestly, wealth is, you know, wealth is well, just wealth. And that, that man sitting in the jail wouldn't have heard your song. That's right. I wouldn't have been offered hope. Yeah. Yeah, we've heard a, a friend say, like, some people are so poor that all they have is money. Exactly, man. Yeah, I really feel that, too. Yeah, that's certainly one of my fears is, you know, providing. Um, but then I have to think about how God has provided with people and with opportunities. And there's no way he's going to stop doing that. I think it's so easy to spend your life wishing that there was a Bob Goff who would come and cheer for you and maybe even financially like underwrite the things that you're working on. But I think the lesson to take away from this is to be a Bob Goff instead of just looking for one. 
So, JJ, you planning on growing a beard and wearing a <laughs> Boston Red Sox okay, cap not, around? It, I don't need to look like Bob Goff <laughs> to act like Bob Goff. And the thing about Bob is he doesn't normally give people in advance to go make a record. He just tells them who they are. Anybody can do that for someone else. Speak life into people and you have no idea what can happen. You should take this show on the road. You mean this podcast? It's already kind of out on the road. Yeah, I bet a bunch of people are actually on the road while they're listening to the podcast. So they're actually taking our show on the road. Mission accomplished. Well, we've almost reached the end of our show. That means it's time for... Let's Rewind the Tape! Brandon is working on new music and spending time with his family after 14 years of hitting the road full-time. Which would have looked very different if it weren't for his first number one single. Which wouldn't exist without the help of his friend Bob. Who saw his potential one night at a Young Life camp. Which Brandon never would have visited if it weren't for his friends Karen and Caroline who he may or may not have had a crush on. (laughs) (laughs) I love how this one ends. (laughs) That's it for our show today. To find out more about Brandon, visit brandonheathmusic.com. This episode of Instrumental was produced by me, JJ Heller. And me, Dave Heller, with additional editing by Kyle Henson. Our theme music is my song, Big Love, Small Moments. That I helped write. (laughs) To find out more about me, listen to more of my songs, or watch my music videos, please visit jjheller.com. That's two letter J's, H-E-L-L-E-R.com. We'll be back next week with another episode of Instrumental. So be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.